Good morning, church. Hope you're doing well. My name is Jeff Hughes, and I'm one of the pastors here at Union Chapel. And this morning, we are continuing our series called Treatment. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how we need to come out of the dark and expose our problems to the light of God's great love for us. You know, one of the great things that happens when we do this is we find His healing for our habits, our hurts, our hang-ups, the things in life that hold us from His best plan. This is the third week of this series, and I know that Pastors Chris and Paul and Glenn, who put together the other messages the last couple of weeks, have been very helpful. I was away on vacation and listened on the live stream and want to encourage you that if you missed the last few weeks, go to unionchapel.com where you can find those messages and listen. It'll be a great help to you. Today I want to talk to you about how to maintain your momentum on the road to recovery. And I want to ask you to grab that half-sheet little outline in your bulletin. And if you can locate a pen, there's going to be some fill-in-the-blanks together that I think will be helpful to us. I'll start off by saying this. Growth is not a smooth thing. Growth and the road to recovery is jagged. If you're like me, you often take two steps forward and one step back or maybe even more. And the chances are high that you have problems where you fall into these self-defeating patterns. Well, that's called relapse. It's called relapse. It's the alcoholic who goes back to drinking. It's the overeater who gains the weight back. It's the gambler who goes back to the casino. And it's the workaholic who fills up all of his family time with jobs again. We tend to repeat the patterns of our past, don't we? It's very easy for us to slip back into these old habits and hurts and hang-ups. And if we were honest, we all need to maintain momentum or we're going to relapse. Well, the beginning text for this message is found in the book of Mark, chapter 14, verse 38. If you would make your way there and please stand to your feet, please. We'll project the words on the screen, so please follow along if you don't have a Bible. As we look at this short verse that I think will apply to all of us. It says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now look to someone nearby and say, the spirit is willing. Find someone else nearby and say, oh, but the flesh is so weak. <laughs> you may be seated. Thanks so much. Today, I want to look at what causes us to relapse. I want to look at how to avoid a relapse and also how to maintain our momentum on the road to recovery. And I want to caution us with something here this morning. You know, it's easy to hear the word recovery and think that it does not apply to us. Maybe you hear the word and think, that has nothing to do with me. And let me just say this, uh, relapse is the two steps forward, one step back thing. So relapse applies to all of us. And so don't discard the word recovery. Don't discard the word relapse. They are both important to us. First, I want us to understand as a church that, that relapses happen in a very predictable pattern. There's a very predictable pattern that leads to relapse. You see, it starts with complacency. Complacency is when you get comfortable with short-term gains. You say, you know, I, I don't need any more help. My pain level has been reduced. It's not gone, but it's reduced to a level where I can live with it. And we become complacent. Complacency quickly leads its way to confusion. 
in the confusion stage, we, we start to rationalize, saying, you know what, maybe my situation wasn't that bad. After all, uh, the pain wasn't that bad. I can handle it myself. I can do this. And with the confusion, we start to forget how bad our situation really was. Confusion leads to compromise. Compromise is when you go back to the place of temptation. You return to the risky situation that, that got you in trouble in the first place. Whether it's the bar or, or the mall or, or the buffet or, or the website or any number of other areas, you go back to that place just like the gambler who says, hey, let's go to Vegas and we'll just go to the shows. We all know that that doesn't happen. Complacency, confusion, compromise, they, they quickly lead us to the catastrophe. Now, the catastrophe is where we see what's going on, and it blows up right in front of us. It's when we give in to the old habit, the old hang-up. Those old things rear their ugly head in our life. The resentment shows its face again. You know, the catastrophe is not when a relapse happens. It started much earlier than that. You see, the catastrophe is simply the result of, of the pattern that happened over time of these things building upon each other. So why do we, even when we know the right way to go, go the opposite direction? It's the age-old question of life, isn't it? I knew I should go this way, and I'm going this way. Why do we fall back when God's desire is for us to maintain this momentum to keep us moving forward down the road to recovery? Well, this morning, I want to give you four things that can cause a relapse. And you'll see on your outline, to fill in the blank here, the first is reverting to willpower. Reverting to willpower. Galatians 3.3 3 says, How can you be so foolish? You began by God's Spirit. Do you now want to finish in your own power? This happens to all of us, doesn't it? We, we start off trusting and, and admitting that, to God that we're powerless to change and that we need Him. We let God make some of those changes, and we surrender to him. But very quickly, we move to this mindset. I got this under control. It's me making these changes. I, I can do this, and we revert to our own willpower. You've had a few successes and suddenly think that you're all-powerful, all-knowing, and can handle everything. It's true. You know, sometimes I think we just need to look in the mirror, point to ourselves, and say these words, You are not God. Maybe it's been a while since you've done that. Maybe you've had a spouse or a loved one kind of elbow you and say, you are not God. But there's something about that self-admission. I'm not God. Maybe you need to do that this afternoon. What I've found is that God will actually let us relapse and relapse and relapse. A hundred, two hundred, three hundred times until we finally say, God, I can't do it. When that happens, don't be surprised if you hear this still small voice the Holy Spirit of God say, you're right, you can't, but I can. Maybe you've experienced this. I love what Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 tells us. Let's check this out on the screen. It says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You will succeed because of my spirit. You see, only God has the power to help you with the issue, the area that you struggle with. Only God has the power to help you. You see, success is found by surrendering to the power of God. And it cannot be gained in your own strength or your own will. No matter how good you are, no matter how good you think you are, 
Success is only found by surrendering to the power of God. So the first thing that causes a relapse is reverting to willpower. The second thing that causes a relapse is ignoring one of the steps. Ignoring one of the steps. We get in a hurry. We try to move through these steps on the road to recovery that we've talked about over these last few weeks in both our clean series and this treatment series. You know, maybe you heard something in the last few weeks and you didn't like it. You say, it's difficult. I don't need that step. That whole making amends with people and asking for forgiveness or that whole admitting that God is bigger than me or that I'm powerless to change. I I didn't like that. So you just pitched your notes from the sermon in the trash can on the way out and deleted it from your memory and decided, hey, I don't need that. You've ignored one of the steps. You didn't get into the mess you're in overnight, and you won't get in it out of it overnight as well. It means we need to follow the principles of the road to recovery that God outlines for us. Let's take a look at Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 7, you were doing so well. Who made you stop obeying the truth? I can almost imagine the writer, hands on the hip, shaking the finger. You were doing so well. Maybe you've even said that to yourself or had someone else say it. You were doing so well. Why, why did you divert from the truth? So the, the second thing there that causes relapse is ignoring one of the steps. And the third is trying to recover without support. Trying to recover without support. We say this, I'll just get well by myself. I, I don't need anybody else. I don't, I'll listen to these sermons, but I'm not going to go to counseling. Are you kidding I've been dealing with this situation in my life for 35 years. Exactly. And you'll continue unless you get the support and get the help that you need. Maybe you say, I'll go to that church picnic, but there's no way I'm going to that group, that meeting next week where you join a small group. Not a chance. Well, you'll be stuck on the road to recovery if you're walking it alone. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, which are a couple of my favorite verses, say this. Check them out. Two are better off than one, because if one falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and falls, it's too bad, because there's nobody there to listen and lift him up or help him. I grew up attending a summer camp as a middle school, high school student in in northwest Texas, in the Amarillo area, if you're familiar with that. This camp was called Cedar Canyon. It's actually at the opposite end of Paladura Canyon and has some great hiking trails, and it's a lot of fun. On the very first day of camp, they have an orientation where they say something like this. They say, you're allowed to go around this general area of the camp by yourself. But if you're going to pass these places, you have to be in a group of three. If you're going to go on a hike, you've got to be in a group of three. If you're going to pass these spots, groups of three. The reason for that is if you fall down, you break an ankle, you break a leg, you need one person to stay there with you comfort you, pray for you, and then other person needs to go back and get help so they can lead them back to where you are. Makes perfect sense, right? But sometimes, so often in our life, we ignore that idea of needing other people. And I think Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 is actually God's group orientation for us at the beginning of camp where he says groups of three kids, groups of three, but so often we wander off by ourselves, we fall down, and there's no one there to help us. I've seen it time and time again. You cannot kick your problems of life alone. If you could have, you would have already done it. But you can't, and so you won't. We all need support. It reminds me of the song, Lean On Me. We all need somebody to lean on, right? You're not going to make it in life 
without those relationships. I love Hebrews 10.25. It says this, Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. And church, I believe that means meeting together like this corporately in a large group on the weekends. I also, mean, I also think that means meeting in a small group, meeting with a, a trusted friend, a trusted Christian over coffee, over lunch, and sharing what's going on in your life, praying for them, them praying for you. We cannot live life alone, but so often we try. The root of our problem is often at a relational level. We're afraid to trust other people, so we go through life alone. Let me tell you this, going through life alone is like driving down the highway at 70 miles an hour and taking your hands off the steering wheel. You're not going to crash immediately, but you will crash inevitably. It's just a matter of time. The same thing is true of our life. If we don't find the support we need, when temptation comes, we're going to end off on the side of the road. And that's not God's plan for us. So in order to avoid a relapse, you have to have the support as you go through life. And what I love about Union Chapel is we are by no means perfect, but we are a church where you can find the support you need through our counseling center, through small groups, through one-on-one relationships with people who you're sitting around right now. And I want to encourage you to do something. You know, if I were to ask you right now to name the name of a person who's sitting right in your general area, many of you probably couldn't do it. You sit in the same places, same, week, same, same seats week after week, But getting to know the people right where we sit is very important. And so, church, I want to challenge you to do that. I think it's a great thing. The fourth thing that can cause a relapse is becoming prideful. Becoming prideful. We get overconfident. We say things like this. I'm strong. I can do this. I got this. I got this under control. I've forgiven them. I've closed the door. I'm okay. Really, I am. Does any of that sound familiar? Proverbs 16, 18 says this, Pride goes before destruction. Those are good words. Pride goes before destruction. I'm reminded of this phrase. You need to stay humble or you'll stumble. You need to stay humble or you'll stumble. Or how about this one? The man who gets too big for his britches will eventually get exposed in the end. (laughs) You can write those down. Pride gets us in all kinds of trouble, doesn't it? It sets us up for a fall. What I've seen is it blinds us to weaknesses in our life where we become vulnerable to mistakes, and it prevents us from making amends with people, keeps us from walking down the road to recovery. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says this, So if you think you're standing, watch out so you do not fall. If you think you're standing, watch out so you do not fall. The secret of lasting recovery is to live a life of humility. The secret to lasting recovery is to live a life of humility. It's the best protection for a relapse. Several years ago, before the Soviet Union broke up, there was a German teenage boy who flew a private plane into Soviet airspace and actually landed it in the Kremlin, in the Red Square. You go, whoa, can't imagine that. Maybe you remember this. The most heavily guarded airspace in a pre-9-11 world, and a kid flies a private plane and just lands it right there. Let me tell you, if that is not a parable for life, I don't know what is. And here's what I get out of that. It means that your greatest weakness is often an unguarded strength. Your greatest weakness is often an unguarded strength. 
Maybe you're in the room right now and you say, oh, my, my marriage will never fail. It'll never fall apart. Watch out. Maybe you're in the room today and you say, well, you know what? I, I've never been addicted to anything else. I've tried several things. I've always been able to quit. I've never been addicted to anything else. Watch out. Because your greatest weakness is often an unguarded strength. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Because often the area where you think you're the strongest, left unguarded, is the area where a plane's going to come in and land right in the middle. And that's where the catastrophe is going to happen. And you are going to notice in that moment. And what I'm challenging us to do this morning, church, is to notice before the catastrophe. So now that we know what can cause a relapse, reverting to willpower, ignoring one of the steps, trying to recover without support, or, or becoming prideful, now that we know that, let me share a few things with you that can prevent a relapse, because we want to prevent this. Let me say that maintaining the steps that we've talked about over these last few weeks is so important. And again, if you've missed one, go back and, and find those. It's very valuable to you. That being said, and you'll see this on your outline, it is critical to reserve reserve a daily time with God for self-evaluation, for Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and His will for my life and to gain the power to do it. God has great power. and He wants to help us with the things that we struggle with. This is based on the verse I opened this message with from, from the book of Mark 14, which says, Watch out and pray so that you won't fall into temptation, for the Spirit is willing but the flesh or the body is weak. I want to give you three important maintenance tools, some self-guards to help us on the road to recovery, things we can implement today that'll make a difference. And, you know, I think God has a, a really funny sense of humor. I was coming in here to the church yesterday to meet with some folks before the Saturday night service, and I started my car leaving my driveway, and wouldn't you know it, but my check engine light came on right away. Check engine lights just flashing, you know, maintenance required, and I kind of go, huh, isn't that true? I wonder this morning if you're sitting in this room right now or listening online, maybe your check engine light of your life came on this morning. You woke up, you got your feet out of bed, they hit the floor, and the first thing happened was your check engine light came on. Maybe there wasn't a light that was blaring in your face, but you knew something wasn't right. Don't go another day without finding out what that is and figuring out what you can do to take steps to change it. I believe that's God's plan for you this morning. Here are the three important maintenance tools. The first is evaluation. Evaluation. 2 Corinthians 13 says, check up on yourselves. Lamentations 3.40 says, let us examine ourselves and repent. So not just examine ourselves, but let us examine ourselves and repent. So what do we examine and when do we do this? Let me give you four kinds of inventories that we need to do as we evaluate our lives. The first is a physical inventory, a physical inventory. Did you know your body is actually a barometer telling you what's going on inside of you and what's happening in your life? You know, maybe this morning you have really tense muscles or a really bad headache or backache, and most of you are like, yes, yes, and yes. Uh, what that's saying is you're stressed. You need to relax. You need to slow down. Your body is a barometer. It's a warning light, just like my check engine light that came on yesterday, that something is wrong. So periodically, we need to listen to ourselves and say, hey, what's my body telling me and what's going on? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I fatigued? Am I stressed out? 
And what will I do about those things? The second inventory we need to take is an emotional inventory. What am I feeling right now is the question you answer right there. Now, I know, guys, we don't, we don't do a great job with this, gentlemen. I know I said the F word, feelings. We need to evaluate. We need to answer that question. What am I feeling in this situation? We need to do a heart check. A heart check stands for this. The H stands for hurting. Am I hurting? The E is for exhausted. The A, angry. The R, resentment. And the T, tense. We have to answer those questions. Am I hurting? Am I exhausted? Am I angry? Do I resent anybody? And am I tense? And after we do that heart check as part of our emotional inventory, we have to be willing to listen to God to do business with those areas in our life that are not right. If we took you to the hospital and hooked you up to a machine and it did a heart check and there was lots of beeping and noise and all kinds of things and they told you, here's the area for where we saw the meter just go off the charts, they're going to give you some steps to follow to fix those things. We need to follow those steps as God gives them to us when we do our heart check. So that's part of the emotional inventory. The third inventory is relational. The relational inventory, we ask this question, am I at peace with everyone? Am I at peace with everyone? Is there any person who, if I ran into him at the coffee bar after church, or, or maybe at Panera Bread, I would have an issue with them? I would have a conflict, and an internal struggle with that person. It's the relational inventory that we have to take stock in. The fourth inventory is spiritual. This is where you ask the questions about your spiritual life with God. Questions like, am I relying on God? Moment by moment, have I submitted myself to God's direction? Have I asked him to lead every area of my life? Or maybe just 50 or 75% and, I, and I'll keep this other section to myself. I want to encourage you in this. It's important to celebrate both your victories and the failures. So what we do is we celebrate our successes. We confess our failures to God. As we're evaluating these things in our life, likely there will be things where you go, yeah, I did good there. There will also be areas where you go, ah, really could have done better in that moment. And that's why we evaluate. Without evaluation, we just move through life so fast. That's not God's plan. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4 reminds us of this. It says, each one should test his own action. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. So when do you do these evaluations? The first is a spot check inventory. A spot check inventory. When I was growing up in Texas, I've told you several stories about that, but when I was 15 years old, I worked as a busboy at Chili's. My manager would often say, Jeff, I want you to spot clean the dining room. When you spot clean the dining room as a busboy, you have about four minutes on a busy Friday night to go through the entire facility to pick up drinks, to wipe a table, to clean a window, to pick up a napkin off the floor. You're spot cleaning the restaurant. And in the same way, God wants us to do a spot clean, a spot check inventory of our lives. We need to learn to do what's called spiritual breathing. Spiritual breathing is where we breathe out the failure breathe out the sin, and breathe in God's forgiveness. So let's try this. On the count of three, I want you to breathe out and, and let go whatever you're holding on to, and then breathe in the forgiveness. And as you do that, hear God say, you're forgiven. Ready? One, two, three. Breathe out. 
and now breathe in the forgiveness of God. You know, I love the fact that we can have small things like that that can remind us, hey, breathe out, breathe in. It's a spot check inventory. You can do that throughout your day. The second is a daily review. At the end of the day, you find a quiet place to review. You take a look at your day. You confess your failures, your sins. You celebrate the victories. And the third is an annual checkup. Now, this just sounds painful, but the annual checkup is kind of like a spring cleaning. The end of the year, you look back on how your last year has been. Maybe look through your calendar. Many of us keep electronic calendars, which makes that easy just to go back and go through and see the things that you've gone through, what's happening in your life. An annual checkup is where you look at your life, you do a moral inventory. Maybe take some time off. Maybe set aside an hour and go somewhere where you'll be uninterrupted. Maybe three hours, maybe five hours, whatever it takes to look at the last year and to ask God what he wants for your future. So the first way to prevent a relapse is through evaluation. The second way is through meditation. Meditation. And let me just say this. Meditation is a good biblical word. It's a very good biblical word. But what happens is so often, people in our culture have hijacked that word. They've used it to sell you products. They've used it to to make you go to classes. They've used it for all kinds of things that God did not intend in the biblical definition of meditation. You see, the biblical definition of meditation simply means this. It means slowing down, slowing down long enough to hear God. Slowing down long enough to hear God, that's all it is. But instead, the busyness, the hectic schedules that we keep, they have a tendency to drown out the voice of God and to stifle and slow down our recovery process. You know, this is the secret of spiritual strength that I find that Satan fights harder than nothing else. He wants to make sure we don't get time alone with God. And he uses three tools in my life to do this. He uses noise, crowds, and hurried schedules. You know, maybe this morning you would say, yes, I relate to all of those things. I wonder if any of those things have kept you from hearing God on a personal basis. Maybe one of them has drowned out God's voice for a season in your life. And maybe that season is right now. Maybe you're disconnected from God because life is moving so fast. And what God is telling you this morning is slow down. Take some time today to slow down. Someone once told me this. They said, discovering our issue is the first step to treating it. Discovering our issue is the first step to treating it. Maybe you are here in this room this morning to hear a word from God that says, slow down. Take some time for yourself. Listen to what God wants to say to you in this season of your life. Meditation means you seriously read a verse in the Bible and and look at how it will apply to your life. Let's do that now. Psalm 1, 2, and 3. It says, They find joy in obeying the law of the Lord, and they study it day and night. They are like trees that grow beside a stream that bear fruit in the right time and whose leaves do not dry up. They succeed in everything they do. Now, what this verse is saying is when you meditate on the Word of God, you're like a tree that's planted firmly by a river. 
when the heat comes, when, when the heat wave hits, you will not wither and dry up because you'll be planted by the river of God. And meditating on the word of God will keep you from a relapse. Someone once told me this, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Well, think about that for a minute because there's so much truth in that. When we worry, all we do is churn over these negative things in our mind. Maybe for hours, maybe days, maybe a full night when you should be sleeping. When we meditate, we take the Word of God. We churn and think about the Word of God. We think about how God has planted us as firm trees by His river. And we praise God for that. And we say, thank you, God, that I am a firm tree planted by the river of life that flows from you. When the heat of my life comes, and it will, and it likely is, I will trust in you, God. That is meditation. Does all the stuff go away? No. Does the heat in our life subside? No. It's likely still going to be there. But when we meditate on God's word and what it means to us, we will find the long-term growth that we need to walk the road of recovery. So if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. You know, no one had to teach me how to worry. I just learned that on my own at some point. I wish I could delete that from my memory, my hard drive. And that's exactly what God wants to do. When you're tempted today or this week to start worrying about that situation at work or home or whatever it may be, I want you to be reminded that worry is the opposite of meditation. Find a verse or two. Psalms is a great place to flip through there. The verse we just looked at, Psalm 119, 26, and 27, or the next verse we'll look at, Psalm 119, 26, 27, says, I confessed all I have done, and you answered me. Teach me your ways. Help me to understand your laws, and I will meditate on your wonderful teachings. That is rich. I think about God's word. Memorize these principles, these key passages, and it gives me strength, and it will you too. It keeps me from sinning. It helps me to avoid temptation in my life. So think about God's word. Meditate upon it. Turn your worry into meditation. I think it'll change our lives when we do that. So the second way to prevent a relapse is through meditation. And the third and final way that we'll look at in this message this morning it's through prayer. It's through prayer. You see, prayer is a tool that, that God says will be helpful for us to maintain our momentum. But here's the problem. Honestly, we ignore it way too much. What do we do? We reach for prayer in, in situations of desperation. It's like, it's like the Hail Mary pass in the football game. Oh, well, hey, maybe we should pray about that. Maybe we should have prayed about that a long time ago. Or maybe we should start before the situation of catastrophe. Prayer can do whatever God can do. Prayer can do whatever God can do. In fact, it's the way that we plug in to God's power. You may say, I can't do it, but God can. You're right. Have you prayed about the situation where you're struggling? Have you surrendered it over to him? You know, most people don't think about the fact that you can pray about anything. I mean, God has heard it all. There's nothing you're going to pray about to him that is going to surprise him. He'll take any need, relational, spiritual, 
emotional, physical, financial, whatever it is, God will listen to anything. He may not answer in the exact way you want, but he will hear every prayer. I heard a story of a pastor who was talking about prayer, and he said he got this letter from a lady who said she did not get married until she was 31 years old. She said she never worried about getting married at all. She just laid it before God's hands and put it, put it at his feet and trusted him with her future. However, she did say that every night she hung a pair of men's pants at the end of the bed. And she would kneel down at the end of the bed and she would pray this simple prayer. She would say, Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. <laughs> that pastor told, told the story to his church and he said there was a guy sitting in the front row who was just laughing hysterically. She, the pastor looked next to this man and there was a teenage boy who just had a, a deadpan look on his face. He was so serious. And the pastor didn't know what was going on in that moment, but he said about four weeks later, he got, he got a letter from the mother of this boy and the spouse of that man. He said this, Pastor Chuck, I don't know if this is serious or not, but I was just wondering what you thought about it, you see, because every night when, when my boy goes to bed, he hangs a bikini at the end of his bed. <laughs> I don't know. Prayer can do whatever God can do. Can I encourage you, church, to submit your request to God? So how then do we pray? How do we pray? Well, let's look at this. Matthew 6, 9 to 13 likely a familiar passage. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us the wrongs that we have done as we forgive the wrongs of others that they have done to us. Do not bring us into temptation, but keep us safe from the evil one. Likely you're familiar with that as the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to notice a few things from that passage of Scripture from Matthew 6, 9 to 13. First, if you have a pen, I'd like you to circle the word how. That says this is, this is how we should pray. It does not say this is a ritual that we have to pray all the time. This is a model for us. It's a model for things we should pray. And I want you to see something very important that will tie in this whole series and the series before this, our clean series and our treatment series, is about to be wrapped up right here in what we see from the Lord's Prayer. Notice how every one of the recovery steps that we've looked at over the last several weeks are right here in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's saying, I realize I'm not God and you are. That's steps one and two. May your will be done, may your kingdom come. That's step five. Give us this day our daily bread. That's step three. Give us, forgive us our debts. That's step four. As we forgive others. That's step six. Lead us, in, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's relapse. That's today's step. The road to recovery that we have been talking about comes directly from the words of Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gave us these principles by which we can find full recovery for our habits, our hurts, and our hang-ups in our life. 
We've got to evaluate, meditate, and pray. And through those things, we will maintain our momentum on the road to recovery. As I end this message this morning, I want to encourage you with this thought. If you've got a hurt that you've been holding on to, if you've got an issue, a habit, a hang-up in your life, and you say this, no matter what I do, no matter what I've done, I can't get over this. The good news is this, and we say this a lot at Union Chapel because we believe it. The good news is you matter to Jesus Christ, and he has the power to help you through no matter what you are facing. And so it's our responsibility to trust him, to put our faith in Jesus, to cling to the Lord's prayer and these steps on the road to recovery. And God will bring the healing that we need. You matter to Jesus. Whatever's going on in your life, he knows it. He's taking note, and he wants a full surrender from every single one of us. You matter, and he has the power to deal with your exact situation. We can find hope in that. We can find peace in that, and we can find comfort in that. With God's help, each and every one of us can make the changes that we know we need to make and that God wants us to make. If we'll just step across the line, stop trying to do this on our own, and surrender to his will and his ways as we follow the road to recovery. The choice is yours. How will you walk out of this place today? clinging to those things that you walked in with or leaving them at the cross of Jesus Christ. He who has an ear, let him hear. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray today that you would meet each and every person listening to these words. Meet us with your love, your grace, and your power right now. Help us to put our trust in you, Jesus. God, help us to not cling to anything else but surrender the hurts in our life, to lay down the habits, our hang-ups that keep us from your best plan. Lord, help us to walk the road of recovery that you have before us and help us to know right now in this moment that you desire to meet each and every one of us with your great power. So help us to cling to the cross, to come to you, Jesus, to know that that's where your love is and we meet with you there. So help us, Jesus, to see your hands stretched out to us. Help us to grab a hold of your grace, to grab a hold of what we need, to meet you. Help us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now as we sing this song, church, I want to challenge you to open your heart to what God wants to do. Maybe that means quietly praying where you are, just a prayer of surrender as you sing this. Maybe it means coming forward and kneeling down at one of these altar rails at the front. Whatever you need to do to hear from God and respond, you're encouraged to do that.